Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Better rendered, the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And we're going to start with understanding a little bit about the gospel and its writer, its author. Now, it's part of the synoptic gospels. How many of you ever heard that phrase, synoptic? Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic. The, the Latin term S-Y-N means the same, in sync, right? And optic means eye, with the same eye. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, all approach Jesus from the same vantage point. You'll find a great number of similarities between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so they're called the synoptic. John, he's on another plane, man. He's, he's just somewhere else, and that's a blast to read his book. So these three correlate together. But what's interesting is most scholars believe that Mark was written first and in somewhat is a blueprint. And since we'll all see through the same eye, 90% of the book of Mark is found in the book of Matthew. And 55% of the book of Mark is found in Luke. And we understand that both Matthew and Luke follow Mark's order of the events of Jesus' life. And when one, Mar Matthew or Luke, departs from Mark's order, the other picks it up as the same as Mark's. So out of the 661 verses in the Gospel of Mark, it's a short gospel, out of the 661 verses, only 30 verses in Mark do not appear in Matthew or Luke. So you can see that many scholars believe, theologians believe, that Mark was the first and the other built and structured theirs off of the Gospel of Mark. And so that's something to know about this Gospel. It's the first Gospel written, and we believe the first New Testament book that was put together, even before Paul's uh, epistles, though he wrote a number of epistles to the churches. Mark set forth his Gospel. So let's take a look at this man. I want you to have a background as to who Mark is, so that when we get into this book, you're going to understand the flavor in the heart of it. First of all, let's understand who Mark is. He had three names. Now, you may have seen him referenced in, in Acts and in epistles as John Mark. So he was a Hebrew. His mother was from Cyprus, and she lived in Jerusalem. And so he was from the tribe of Levi. He was a Levitical, uh, same as Barnabas, who was his uncle. Um, and so we have a Hebrew name for Mark, and that is John. And that means God has been gracious. So Mark, his name is God's been gracious. Now, how many of you have appreciated God's grace on your life? We could all say John to you. God's been gracious to you. And that's his name. How many of you know that you have a new name written down in glory that God has given you that stays with you despite what other people call you? Thank God he's given us a name that stays put. It's the right name. It's a name that you don't even fully know yet. You haven't even fully developed into what God has called you to be. Isn't that good? Well, his name was John. God's grace came upon him. His Roman name or his surname in the Roman province was Mark. It comes from the concept of Mars, the god of war, the Roman god of war. It's a strong name. It's a name given to him. Uh, he may have had a strong personality. Uh, it means war hammer. 
And so the god of war, Mars, for the Roman religions, kind of like Thor in the uh, Viking thing, you know, with the heavy hammer. Mark uh, was a, a war hammer, and uh, it's interesting that he wrote that gospel, and it's strong. As a matter of fact, what also is cool about it is, is this, that the gospel of Mark is given a, a symbol of a lion with wings. Because, you see, early church fathers uh, relegated to the four gospels the four living creatures before the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 4, you see the four living creatures, all full of eyes and six wings, but one of them had the head of a man, one had the head of a cow or an oxen, one had the head of a lion, one had the head of an eagle. And they likened each one of those living creatures to one of the Gospels. And the one that was likened to Mark was the lion that roars, the mighty lion. That's the Gospel of Mark. It's powerful. It's quick. Right? Could you imagine a lion with wings on? Come on. You want to run away from those things, but this thing could fly. All right? So, so it is a mighty uh, uh, warrior and a, and a ferocious book, this Gospel of Mark. It's quick. Right within the first chapter, you have the word immediately used six times. That's how Mark is. Immediately, uh, Jesus shot out of the water from his baptism. Immediately, he was driven into the desert. I mean, it's really impetuous and fast and... and uh, uh, powerful. Now, here's an, another amazing thing, because the whole point of Mark's gospel is to show Jesus the Messiah as the Son of God. The last thing you see at the end of the gospel is the Roman centurion looking to a crucified Jesus saying, surely this has been, this is the Son of God. And so that's what he's pressing with a roar of a lion, the power of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which Paul said proved he is the Son of God. And another reason the lion is symbolic of the book of Mark is because tradition has it that when a young lion is born, it's born not breathing. And so when it comes out of the mother and it's not breathing, it says that the father roars over the lion to awaken it and to begin gasping and breathing. Much like the father roared over Jesus Christ and raised him up from the grave. Amen? Somebody's got to get excited about this. I'm the only one here excited about this. All right? So the Gospel of Mark is that lion. Now, he had a third name, which is kind of interesting. His third name was Calabodactylus, Calabodactylus, which means stubby fingers. I am not making this up. Mark was known as stubby fingers. Historically, some of the early church fathers say that this was his nickname, Calabodactylus, Stubby Fingers. Now, they don't know why he got that nickname. Now, he could have had a deformity in his hands where his appendages, his fingers, didn't grow out fully to the full measure of his body that it should have. And so they called him Stubby Fingers. Now, I don't know if he was happy with that nickname. <laughs> See, I don't know if he, You know, how many of you... The world puts names on us. How about that? Right? Now, I find it fascinating to me that here he is with a defect and people ridicule him and call him stubby fingers, but his name's John. God's grace is on me. And what did John accomplish? What did Mark accomplish? He became a writer. And so what he didn't have use of and what he wasn't great with, God said, I'll make up the difference. 
I don't know what people have called you in the past. I don't know what nickname they put on you. What if they called you this or they called you that. But God said, I'm calling you this. And my grace is sufficient. John Mark, you may have stubby fingers, but I'm going to use every ounce of your fingers to write a gospel down. Amen? Now, before we used to be named, in the Bible, you're named according to your sin. That's how you were identified by God. You were either a liar, you were an addict, you were an adulterer, you're a fornicator. You see, in the Bible, that's how people are identified. If they're not sons of God, they're identified by whatever sin beset them. Huh? Whatever malady. Look at we're all stubby fingers here. We were all born deformed, broken. We were all born short of the glory of God. But by His grace, He now gives us a new name. He calls us who we've been called to be. And so, old Mark was stubby fingers, but he was God's gift and grace to the kingdom. Amen? And so that's interesting about him. Now, there's also another theory, possibly, as to why he was called stubby fingers. He was of the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. And so, some say, Hippolytus in uh, uh, AD 160 uh, says that he possibly uh, refers to Marcus stump-fingered, or, another translation, mutilated fingers. Because uh, it's the same word for dehorning cattle. And speculation, this is just speculation, is that possibly in the uh, Monarchian prologues, they say that he amputated his fingers in order to disqualify himself from working in the priesthood as a Levite. I don't know about that. That's just church history. Sometimes that comes. But I want to tell you, as we go further into this, it wouldn't surprise me if Mark did that. Because Mark tends to run away from his job and his duties. And it may have been he cut his fingers off so he wouldn't have to serve as uh, the priest. Now, here's the thing. If he didn't mutilate his fingers, but if he was born with stumpy fingers or some form of deformity, he would have already been disqualified to serve as a Levite. Leviticus 21, 18 says, No man who has any defect may come near the sanctuary. No man who is blind, lame, disfigured, or deformed. So I don't know. Whatever happened, he was canceled from being a priest, but God called him into the priesthood of all believers. Amen? You may have done something that you think disqualified you from being used from God, but God calls you anyways. Amen? You may think you cut off your ministry, you cut off your life, you cut off your usability because of some sin, because of some failure, because of something you did. You cut off and can't be used, but God says, I'm going to use you anyway. By my grace, my grace is sufficient to use you. Praise God for that. That's the story of Mark. One who comes through, old stubby finger made it through and God used him. Thank God. Now here's an interesting thing about Mark. Mark, later on in his life, became the interpreter for the Apostle Peter. And so let me read to you what was written by Eusebius, the church historian, quoting Papias, the bishop of Heropolis. He says this about Mark. Mark, who became Peter's interpreter, wrote accurately, though not in order, all that he remembered of the things said and done by the Lord. For he had neither heard the Lord nor been one of his followers, but afterwards, as I said, he followed Peter, who used to compose his discourses with a view to the needs of his hearers. 
but not as though he were drawing up a connected account of the Lord's saying. So Mark made no mistake in thus recording some things just as he remembered them. He was careful of this one thing, to omit none of the things he had heard and to make no untrue statements therein. So Mark accompanied Peter later on in his life wherever he went, and he interpreted his sermons. So when Peter went to Rome and Peter began to preach what happened on the day of Pentecost, Peter would declare his sermon that he gave on that day of Pentecost, and Mark wrote it down. All right, Peter told about what happened when he went to Cornelius' house, and we have a record of it because there was a stumpy-fingered guy that had a cuneiform tablet or something, I don't know, but he wrote it all down. Amen? You see, now what had happened in Rome, they were saying, is that the Lord Jesus hasn't returned. Peter, you're getting up in age. If we don't write this stuff down, we need an account to tell our children and our children's children. So Mark said, I'll do it. And so, as this writer said, he didn't set out to write a gospel, now what happened on this day, this day, but what he did is he accounted, he recounted, as he traveled with Peter, all the stories that Peter had declared, how Peter walked on water, right? And, and, and all the sermons of Peter that Peter shared, what he said and how he spoke. Now that's why we understand Luke probably picked up on some of this stuff. How could Luke write down, when he wasn't even with following the Lord, what Peter said on the day of Pentecost? Well, he's interviewing Mark. Mark had some written records, and he's letting him know, this is what Peter said happened. And so we have the account. So the gospel of Mark is actually the gospel of Peter. This is the gospel of Peter, the rock. He's the one that these are his accounts. So you put Peter and Mark together, and you've got an interesting combination, right? I mean, Peter was impetuous, wasn't he? Say that three times. Peter was impetuous. And so we have his written account. And so it was written, this, this gospel of Mark was written sometime between 55, 65 A.D. And he was glad to write it down. Now, Let's take a look at where Mark fits in the relationship of everything. Um, We know that Mark's, well, it says in Scripture that Barnabas was Mark's cousin, but when you look at the interpretation and and throughout church history, they think more that Barnabas was Mary's uh, brother and that actually Mark was Barnabas' nephew, his younger nephew, okay? So uh, Barnabas was a Levite as well. And then his mom, Mark's mom, was Mary. There's a lot of Marys in the New Testament. How many of you know that, right? The Hebrew name is Miriam. So there were a lot of Miriams. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? Mary of Martha and Mary, sister fame, right? Mary Magdalene and a few other Marys. Uh, Mary to Cephas, but this is a different Mary. And this Mary had a house in Jerusalem. And it's believed that this Mary is where they had the upper room, where they celebrated the Last Supper. It was at Mark's house. How about that, huh? How would you like to grow up in the house where the Last Supper was? It's the same house, they believe, that they were all gathered in on the day of Pentecost, wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. And they were in the upper room. What upper room? The one that they had communion in? The one that is Mary's house that John Mark grew up in. Sounds like a lot of noise upstairs. What's going on? It's the same house that they're all gathered in that when Peter was arrested and put in jail, remember the angel woke him up and he had to get back 
uh, to where the prayer meeting was. It was at Mary's house, Mark's house. So there's another prayer meeting there. He knocks on the door. I'm free. And she shuts the door and says, oh my gosh. Right? There's a lot of comedy in this because there's people involved. So how would you like to be Mark? Mark grew up literally watching the events of the gospel unfold. Peter is called, and Peter calls him this himself in Scripture, that Mark is his son. Now we know he's not physically or biologically his son. We know that he is his son spiritually. So at some point, probably after the resurrection, Peter takes time to talk to young Mark and lead him to a faith in a risen Lord Jesus Christ and to get saved. So Barnabas, Uncle Barney, is there. You got Mary, his mom, and Peter is with him as well. So quite a lineage of hanging around with certain folks, right? That's pretty amazing. Now, here's the real kicker about this young man's story. He's a runaway. The runaway boy. He just was always trying to escape the inevitable, the difficult. So let me tell you a few stories of of what happened. You can't read it in the book of Matthew. You can't read it in the book of Luke. But there's a strange sentence and passage in the Gospel of Mark. No one else records it. It's an insight into the night in the garden while Jesus is praying that no one else talks about. Why would Mark put this in there? Let me read it to you. It's from Mark chapter 14 verse 51. You see, what happens is Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. Whose upper room? Mark's house. They, after they sing a hymn, the Hallel, uh, normally sung at Passover, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and all the disciples leave. Mark sees the whole crew leaving. I guess they're done with Passover. And so as they leave Passover, and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus begins to pray, doesn't he? And so Jesus tells Peter, James, and John, come with me, pray with me. He begins to agonize in the garden. He begins to weep. They're all upset. They're extremely upset. Luke says that Peter, James, and John fall asleep because of their so much sorrow and trouble over what's going on. They're weeping. They're just spent and they fall asleep. Jesus is crying out. He's weeping. His blood vessels are busting in his face. It's agony and crying. Then Judas walks into the garden. The Roman centurions, the legion comes and says, where is Jesus? Right? And Jesus speaks. Now Mark says this in chapter 14, verse 51. And there followed him, Jesus, a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled away from them naked. What is that? Matthew doesn't talk about that. Luke doesn't talk about it. What is that? Well, most scholars believe that's Mark. That's young Mark. This whole communion, this last supper was in his house. He sees him go out the door. He's dressed for bed. He doesn't have a onesie on. He's just, you know, I guess he didn't have anything on. He just grabbed whatever linen he had, and he's going out to follow what's going on with these guys. This little kid, little stubby fingers, is going after him. So all this takes place, all of a sudden Roman centurions come in, the soldiers come, there's an arrest and everything, and someone grabs this kid, and then they grab his kid, and he sneaks out and runs away. 
naked as a jaybird. That's Mark. He runs away. That's his testimony. He runs away. So I'm not surprised if maybe he chopped off a couple fingers so he wouldn't have to be a Levite in the temple. I don't know. That one we don't know. But we do know another time when he ran away. Uncle Barney invites him. He says, come on out to Antioch. we got a good thing happening at this church. Come on, Mark. Okay. So he goes there. And so Paul and Barnabas and all of them are praying, and the Lord says, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have called them unto. And so they go on their first missionary journey, and Barney says, come on, Mark. Come on, stubby fingers. Let's go. He says, okay. Okay, Unc. And so he follows him, and he's on this missionary journey, and they start seeing some amazing things. The Apostle Paul is now calling out things and praying. The hand of God is moving powerfully. There's a sorcerer that goes at Cyprus, and he comes forth, and he wants to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, and a magician and magic, and Paul says, I'm going to strike you blind in Jesus' name. The guy goes blind and all this, and it's after that event that they're ready to go on to Pamphylius. And as they're going on to the next place, Barnabas goes, hey, Mark, Mark, Mark. Paul says, where's Mark? Barnabas says, I don't know. Guess what he did? Ran away. Look at this in Acts chapter 15. Let me read it to you, Acts 15, verse 36 to 40. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. Come on, let's get Mark. You want to go back around another circuit and go see the churches? Uh, Barnabas says, look it, I'm going to call Mark, we're going to go. Paul says, you ain't bringing that kid with us again. No, really, no, let me get Mark. I know he cut out soon, you know, he has a tendency to do that, but let's, let's encourage him, let's mentor him. Paul said, I'm not bringing that kid. He ran out on us. Isn't that funny? How Everybody says, oh, if we could be like the early church. The early church was on fire. They took the then known world. They never had any problems. Oh, yeah, you had a church split right there. First church split. Mark, split. I don't like this. I'm out of here. And then Barnabas says, come on, come on. Let's get Mark back involved. Paul said, I don't want that kid. We're not getting him involved. Come on. No, I don't like him. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He cut out. He ran away. Barnabas, his name, if you'll read in the book of Acts, that word, the name for Barnabas is Parakletos, the comforter, one who is called alongside, the encourager. And that's what Barnabas was. He wanted to encourage Mark. He said, come on, Mark, let's go. But Paul said, uh-uh, no way, no how. I don't want him. In fact, we go on, and in verse 38 it says, Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. They got so mad, Paul said, I'm not bringing him with us. Barnabas said, come on, Paul. This young man needs to grow and learn in the gospel. He's a deserter. He left us last time. I can't afford to have him leave us this time. No way he's not fit for ministry. Yes, he is. We'll make him fit. No, he's not. He's not gonna. Fine, you go. Fine, I'll go. See you around. That's the church leadership. 
Now, who called Paul and Barnabas together? Holy Spirit, separate now unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've done. They just, they just split. Even though God said these two go together, man divided what God put together. They divorced, if you will, in a sense. They split. Now, this is what's wonderful. Now, now you can say who was right, who was wrong. You know what? Whatever happens in your life, just press on. Does it matter who's right, who's wrong? Paul went and got Silas and did what they needed to do. But I love Barnabas. He went and worked with this young man. He didn't need the fame. He didn't need the glory. He said, come on, stumpy fingers. Let's go figure this out. I love you. You love me. Thanks, Uncle Barney. So Mark got tutored, brought up by Barney. Do you know what's amazing through all this? I don't know, maybe you ran away. Maybe you failed. Maybe, maybe God got a hold of you and you squirmed out of that thing and ran away naked. Maybe you were called to something you started and you didn't finish. And you backed out. And you thought it was over. It's never over. The Comforter comes for you. The Holy Spirit comes and says, Come on, we're going to do this again. But I got stumpy fingers. (laughs) He says, my grace is sufficient. I'll use those fingers. And I'll redeem you. Some of you may think it's over. Some of you think, I failed God. I did something that's just miserable. God could never use me. In fact, the pastor said, I'll never be used again. But the the paracletos, the Holy Spirit says, I'm here to raise you up again. And that's what Barnabas did with Mark. He restored him. He brought him back into his calling. Let me read to you some verses that are wonderful. In Colossians 4.10, later on in life, it's about 10 years later, this is what Paul writes. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Where do we find Mark next? In prison with Paul. Barnabas restores him, strengthens him, and he goes back to Paul. And Paul uses him and works with him. And he doesn't run away this time, but in fact joins Paul in prison. And in Philemon 23 and 24, Paul writes this, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow servants or laborers. Mark is now a fellow laborer with Paul because Barnabas worked with him and strengthened him. Isn't that great? But my favorite is the last letter Paul ever wrote. He's he's in Rome. He's now going to be put to death. And Paul writes a letter in 2 Timothy 4.23. And he says this, Get Mark and bring him to me, for he is profitable or useful to me in ministry. Isn't that awesome? From the one who said, I don't want anything to do with this kid, to now in his old age saying, if you're going to bring anybody and you can come to the jailhouse, bring Mark. He's profitable to me. Because what Mark had been doing is Mark had become the interpreter for Peter. Mark had gone where Peter was. Barnabas had restored him enough to where then 
Mark, then Mark joins Peter and travels with Peter to Rome and all the different places and is writing down all of Peter's messages and is doing those things. And then he comes back over to Paul and he ministers with Paul and he works with Paul. That is awesome. That's a life restored. And then when the people say, we need a gospel, we need this written down, old stumpy fingers writes it down. He's John. He is the warrior, Mark. And he writes this gospel. But you know what? He didn't. He stopped his running away. And he stopped his excuses. And he stood his ground. And he was the first one, they say, according to church history, the Nicene fathers say that Mark was the first one that was sent into Egypt. And he proclaimed the gospel which he had written and first established churches in Alexandria. He took that gospel that he wrote, and he brought it into a foreign land, into, into northern Africa, into Egypt, and he preached into Alexandria. Alexandria became one of the greatest Christian cities in northern Africa. Mark brought his gospel there and preached it. Ultimately, when the mob came, it was April 25th, 68 A.D. There was a mob again. They were running out there. This time, they're after Mark. They grabbed his shirt. They grabbed his clothes. But he didn't try to escape, and he didn't try to get out of them. They dragged him through the streets and through the rocks till they killed him. And he died holding his ground for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to study his gospel and we're going to read his story. It's Peter's gospel, but there was a faithful man who wrote it down. That's what you and I are to become. We're to become living epistles, living gospels. And maybe you cut yourself out of uh, a ministry or, or you disqualified yourself. Or maybe you realized, I'm deformed, I'm cut, I'm too short, God can't use me. I'm inept. God says, I'll use you by my grace. Maybe you quit. Maybe you failed. It ain't over yet. It's how you finish that matters most. And this gospel is a story of a lion with wings. And that's who you are. You are, Mark, you're the gospel with wings. You're the lion who roars. You're the one in this day and in this hour when God needs a people to stand, not to run away anymore, not to be a child and run away from hard times. You stand in the middle of a street. You stand in the middle of the mob and you profess the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, your healer. Hallelujah. God needs a church. He needs the gospel written again on our hearts to where we will declare, thus saith the Lord. Stand with me right now. I want to pray for you this morning. Oh, Lord God, as we study this gospel, we study our story. It's the story of Jesus in us. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. And as we hear about Mark, it's a story of a common man of a boy who made mistakes, of a boy who ran away, of a boy who seemed wasn't good enough, but you used him right in the area 
that he was deficient in. <laughs> that amazes me, God. You're awesome. I don't know where your deficiency is, brothers and sisters, this morning. I don't know where it is. But you are never deficient in God. Mark had stumpy fingers, and he wrote the first gospel. He was faithful, a faithful witness. Will you be a faithful witness? Pray this, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I want to be, and I commit myself to, to be a faithful witness for you. I may not have all that's necessary in myself, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will live my life to the glory of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.